Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Well, that's just your interpretation. Have you ever heard that before? This this is what Roman Catholics accuse Protestants of being able to say. They say, if you don't have the infallible church to interpret the Bible for you, then everybody's just going to go off on their own and have their own interpretations. Well, it is true that a lot of people have different interpretations of different Bible passages, but it, does that mean that they are all correct, that they are all equally valid? Absolutely not. Protestants would would say that as well. The best interpretation, the accurate, the true interpretation is one that is consistent with God's word. And so when you're studying the Bible, there's three basic categories. When you sit down and you're going to study a Bible passage, just think observation, interpretation, and then application. You've got to do them in that order. So when you sit down and read a passage, just observe what are the basic facts what what is it, what is being said you can almost just just go through and rephrase all the statements of facts and just write those out that's that's your observation now your interpretation is you're trying to do this you're trying to figure out what the author of that book intended to communicate to their original audience that is the interpretation and there are not many interpretations of a passage that are all valid there is only one true interpretation that author was trying to communicate a certain truth in what they wrote to the original audience and so we can't you know 2000 years later look back and and say well this is what this passage means to me we can't use that language, that type of language, when we're talking about the interpretation of a passage. There's only one true interpretation. Now, the the third step is application. Now, there are tons of applications to certain truths taught in the Bible. And so one application for me, you may not, you may read a passage, study it. We may both have the same interpretation but totally different applications in thinking about our own lives and how we are to apply this truth. So there is only one correct interpretation, and that interpretation is what the the author was trying to communicate to the original audience. Always shoot. That should be your goal in trying to figure that out. So today, I'm going to walk through a passage that is interpreted by the Roman Catholic Church one way, and it is their dogmatic interpretation. If you are a faithful Roman Catholic, you have to believe that this is what John was trying to communicate to his audience. So I'm going to walk through my interpretation, then give you what the interpretation is by the Roman Catholic Church, and we'll see which one is more consistent with the Bible. So I'll I'll just kind of bring you into my process here of Bible study. And so come along with me, and, and hopefully this is a great episode for you. Now, you can always connect with me if you have questions about this episode or any previous episodes. You can connect with me at uh, by email at bearchristianity at gmail.com. You can also instant message me or, or message me or direct message me, whatever, on Instagram. I'm not a, a huge Instagram user, but that's another way to reach out to me. It's And my Instagram is at the real. Bear Martin. Now, this episode of Bear Christianity is sponsored by Bag Bottom Fries. Everybody knows the feeling. You've just finished your cheeseburger and fries, and you've got a few sips left of your Pepsi, and then your salty fingers discover more fries at the bottom of the bag. 
Introducing Bag Bottom Fries. Now every French fry can be as good as the ones you find at the bottom of the bag. With Bag Bottom Fry, simply scan your app at the checkout window of your favorite fast food restaurants to have all your fries placed at the bottom of the bag. Bear Christianity listeners receive three free months of a Bag Bottom Fry subscription when they use the coupon code POTATO. Bag Bottom Fries, the best is yet to come. Potato is not a valid coupon code. Details may vary. Some restrictions may apply. All right, so today's episode is going to be my interpretation of a very famous passage in John chapter 21, and it is a passage, I'll give you the quote later by the Roman Catholic Church, but basically that they're saying that this passage is one of the passages that teach us, or that's supposed to teach us, that Jesus made Peter the Pope, basically. Now, let's pick it up. This is going to be talking about Peter's denial, and then I believe John 21 talk is talking about Uh, Peter's restoration. Jesus is basically saying, Peter, you are forgiven for denying me three times, and so you're going to be used in a great way to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's that's my general interpretation, so let's get down into the details. Now, we start out, this is right after the Last Supper in John 13, 36 through 38. So this is the in, in a few hours, Jesus is going to be betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and we go and we know what happens. And so this is that same night, right after the Last Supper, and this is in John 13, 36 through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so we we know the story here in John 18, 15 through 18. I'm not going to read those verses, but Peter is around a charcoal fire in the sort of like the courtyard of the high priest. So Jesus is betrayed in the garden and he's taken to the the house of the high priest and he's he's given this like like fake uh, false trial by the Jews, and then they're later going to take him to Pilate, and and they want Pilate to crucify him. And so it's at the the high priest's house. Peter's like out in the courtyard, and it's evidently it was a chilly night, and so there's a charcoal fire, and people are standing around. And one of the servant gar- girls says, you know, hey, aren't you one of those disciples that was with Jesus? And and Peter denies him. Now that's the first denial. In John 18, verses 25 through 27, just a few verses down, we get denials two and three, and that's you know right here at this charcoal fire as well. And so there's that's Peter's denials. That's found in John 18. And then it, in Matthew 26, verse 75, we just get a little extra note here. It says, Peter went out, the, 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 the rooster crowed, Peter realizes what he's done and, and knows that what Jesus told him he did exactly he denied Christ three times and in Matthew it says Peter went out and he wept bitterly and so that that is you know that is Peter's story and so just put yourselves in those shoes the the shame the um just the regret of that moment that you have betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ and now he's been crucified but he is risen from the grave. And so now the, the main part of the, the discussion today is in John 21, verses 15 through 19. So the setting here is that uh, Peter said, Peter tells some of the other disciples that are with him, you know, I'm going fishing. And so they go fishing. They can't 
they can't catch anything. And then Jesus is on the shore, tells them to cast their net on the other side of the boat, and they they catch, the Bible says, 153 large fish, so a, a massive catch. And so they recognize that it's Jesus, they come to shore, and uh, Jesus has a charcoal fire. Now, I, their charcoal fire, that phrase, that word in the Greek is only used twice in the Bible, and it is the two times that I've just shared with you. And so P- Peter denies Jesus around a charcoal fire in the courtyard of the high priest, and now Jesus has made a charcoal fire, and he, they're sitting around eating. So in John 21, starting in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And, and Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, that is Jesus said to Peter a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, and this is Jesus talking to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John, the author of the gospel, he gives us this little like parenthetical note. He said, this he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So there's the the passage right there. A few things that I want to point out here is that Jesus says first, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, Peter, right after the Last Supper, had told Jesus, even though everyone will will leave you, I will not leave you. I will die for you. And, And then that's when Jesus says, Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And so this is a, this, Jesus is recalling back to Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And also, Jesus uses the word, the, the word for love here is unconditional. It's it's agape. You, you may have heard that before. There's a few different words for love in the Greek language. And so Jesus says, do you agape me? Do, do you uh, unconditionally love me? And Peter answers, though. Peter uses a different word. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love, but he uses the word phileo, which is like a an affection, a brotherly love, but it's not as deep of a love as uh, agape. And so he, Peter uses a different word for love. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Now, the second time Jesus asks the question, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Jesus leaves out the, do you love me more than these? And so uh, what I think here, what I notice here is that Jesus starts out with the, the most uh, the most commitment in the way he asked the question, uh, Peter, do you love me? And he uses the strongest word for love. And, and Jesus says, more than these. But Peter answers, yes, Lord, I love you. But he, but Peter doesn't say more than these. He, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, but it's a, it's a lesser love. It's a, a lesser word for love, for the strength of that love. All right, so there's a there's a downward progression here in Jesus' question. So the second time, Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? He still uses agape, the strongest word for love, but he leaves out more than these. 
And Peter says, you know that I love you. Again, Peter's using the, the other word, the phileo, the, the sort of a, a, an affection type love, but a lower, um, lower commitment, if you will. A, just, it's not as strong of a love. And then Jesus says a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, here, again, I think Jesus is, he's, he's sort of lowering the bar as we go along. So here, he, Jesus uses the same word that Peter has been using the whole time. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love phileo me? And, and Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Peter, again, uses phileo there. So I, I see here that Jesus starts out with the, the strongest confession. Peter, do you love me in the strongest sense of the word more than everyone else? And and Peter doesn't affirm all of that. He just says, Jesus, you know that I love you with this brotherly affection love. It's it's almost like Peter knows that he can't, he, he's already let Jesus down. He can't commit to, uh, he, he can't acknowledge that he has that type of love for Jesus because of what he's done. And so then Jesus sort of alters his question. And then the third time, Jesus alters his question again and and. Peter says, you know everything, you know that I love you. So the other thing that I want you to realize there is it says Peter was grieved because Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? Now, I think this is just the clear, again, the interpretation, the accurate interpretation of this passage would be what is John, the author of this gospel, trying to communicate to the original audience, people reading this, this gospel? And so I think what he's trying to communicate here is we have the charcoal fire. Peter has already promised that he will never leave Jesus. He would die for Jesus. And we have around a charcoal fire, Peter denies Christ. Then in this restoration passage, they're sitting around a charcoal fire. Jesus gives Peter three chances to affirm his love for Jesus. But also, Jesus is, in a way, kind of humbling Peter. <laughs> and so so you have the three times Peter confesses, Lord, you know that I love you. But on the third time, it says Peter was grieved that Jesus said it the third time. It's like Peter knows what's going on here. He's his He is uh, so sorrowful for what he had done in the past. And it, it's kind of like when when two friends are restored and you and one friend has greatly wronged the other, yet the other comes to them in love and and that relationship is restored. There's a there's a, a grieving. There's a sorrow for what has been done, but at the same time, a restoration that that has to take place. And so when when I read that, Peter was grieved. That's what I see there. Peter realizes what Jesus is doing. Now, here's the beautiful thing about this passage. I I see this as just a full circle because Jesus says, you know, where I'm going, you cannot go right now. And Peter says, Lord, I will die for you. Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. Peter does. Then Jesus restores Peter. And then listen to what he says. This is in verse 18. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you were stretched out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this is to tell Peter that by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So here Jesus is saying, Peter, you you know you are restored you you know we got the the three denials and now the three Jesus you know that i love you 
Jesus is saying, Peter, you are restored, and guess what? You are going to die for me. And so when when I read this passage, I think I grew up playing a lot of sports, and there are times where you make a, an error, like I played a lot of baseball, and so you may make an error in the field and like it allows a run to score, or you may strike out with the bases loaded, and if you just would have gotten a hit, your your team would have scored a run. And so when you fail in situations like that, there is there's this angst, there's this this strong desire to just get another chance to like make it right. You just you when 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 there's regret like that, you just wish you could go back. You wish you could have that situation again where you could do something different. And and that that desire to have that second chance will just eat away at you. You want it so bad. And in, in, in sports, sometimes you get it and you redeem yourself and you help your team win. And then other times you don't and your team loses because of, of the mistake that you made. And just as a side note, that's why I think sports are so great for everyone because it is a way to practice life and deal with failure, things like that. Anyway, that's a total side note. But this is, I just, I, I see this in Peter that he wants nothing more than to give his life for Jesus Christ at this point because of, of his denial and the shame that goes with that and his sorrow for, for denying Christ. And Jesus affirms, he says, Peter, you're getting, you're getting that second chance. You will one day die for me because of your faith in me. And, and so that there's that promise that Peter, you will get that second chance and you will make a bold proclamation for me and you will die because of that. And, and I think that was Peter's desire. And so we, we have Peter saying that he will die for Christ, but he's, he's humbled because he denies Christ. And then Jesus restores him. And then he says, Peter, you're going to die for me one day. And so, so that is my interpretation of this passage. That's why I think that John 21 verses 15 through 19, that is talking about the restoration of Peter. It is for, for Peter's uh, spiritual health. He denied him and then he's restored. And so I think that is a very consistent interpretation of the gospel according to John. I think that is what John is trying to communicate to the readers, that Peter was restored. So, you know, that when when we're interpreting the Bible, I think we have to stick with the the immediate context and then branch out. And so we we have to think, okay, John, the, the gospel according to John was written by an author to an audience and there are reasons that he puts certain things in his gospel and leaves others out. He has a specific purpose. And so I think when we're interpreting a passage, we first have to like limit ourselves and let's just see what John is telling his audience. Then we can go outside of the gospel of John to other gospels. Like I went to Matthew to say Peter went out and wept bitterly. That just that that colors our story a little more and gives us like a, a little more inside information. But the majority of my interpretation is based on the narrative that John is putting in place. John mentions the charcoal fire when Peter denies Jesus and then when Peter is restored. So I think that these are purposeful things that are put in place by the author to lead the reader. Just like any good novelist will, there's little hints along the way. And so if you read a great book, one time through, you may not pick up on it, but once you know the end and then you go back and read it again, you see where the author all along is dropping these little hints and sort of leading your mind to come to a certain conclusion. And I, and, and so the gospel authors are no different. 
And so I think that's how we have to have to approach Bible interpretation. We have to stick to that. So we stick to the immediate context, then the whole gospel. What is that whole gospel trying to say? Or if it's a different book of the Bible, what is the author of that book of the Bible trying to communicate? Then we can branch out and look at how other verses are are pulled in from different parts of the Bible. A lot of times in the New Testament, they quote Old Testament passages. So we have to go back to those and see what the context is there. And does that help us understand the meaning of the passage? So we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Now, this is very different from what Roman Catholics do. And I've been talking about this all the time. Uh, you know, the last several episodes, we're walking through some of the statements made in a document called Pastor Eternus. And that, that means eternal shepherd, by the way. But anyway, it's a document from the Roman Catholic Church. It was produced at the Vatican I Council in 1870. And this is a document which has a lot of um, dogmatic claims about the Pope. And so in Pastor Eternus, it says this, and it was upon, and this is talking about this passage I just talked about, John 21, and it was upon Simon alone that Jesus, after his resurrection, bestowed the jurisdiction of chief pastor and ruler over all his fold by the words, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. So that is the Roman Catholic interpretation of John 21. They're saying, when Jesus says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, they are Peter the way you're supposed to interpret that is Peter is being made the pope there. Peter is being set apart over the rest of the church and and then you know the Roman Catholics build all their little dogmas about the pope on that. And so we have to follow Peter and his successors because of what is taught supposedly here in John 20 uh, 21. Now, right after that paragraph in Pastor Eternus, it says this, At open variance with this clear doctrine of Holy Scripture, as it has ever been understood by the Catholic Church, are the perverse opinions of those who deny that Peter was endowed by Christ with a true and proper primacy of jurisdiction. So, they're saying that anyone who denies that that this is the clear doctrine of of Scripture as it has ever been understood by the Catholic Church. This is supposedly so clear and always been understood this way that anyone who denies that, it, it later down in this in this document, will say, "Let them be anathema. Let them be accursed." So that's the the interpretation by the Roman Catholic Church. And again, they say it's the clear doctrine as it has ever been understood. And then in another part of the of Pastor Eternus, it says this is the ancient and constant faith of the universal church, that being all these, these dogmatic statements about Peter and the Pope and all of that stuff. Now, what I want to give you, though, is a, a quote from an early church father, and this is Cyril of Alexandria. Now, I looked him up on the Catholic Answers website because they have a link to the Catholic Encyclopedia. So this is all pro Catholic sources, and Cyril of Alexandria, I, in, in my source where I found this quote, he's just called Cyril of Alexandria. When I looked him up on a pro-Catholic website, he is Saint Cyril of Alexandria. He is a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, and he lived A.D. 370 to 444. So this is way before the 1870 Vatican I Council and all this stuff. And so surely... A saint of the Roman Catholic Church living from 370 to 444 would be aware of this ancient and constant faith of the universal church. Surely, a saint of the Roman Catholic Church would be aware of this clear doctrine of Holy Scripture as it has ever been understood by the Catholic Church. 
Surely he would he would know this. In fact, in the in the Catholic Encyclopedia, it says this saint Cyril of Alexandria is still venerated by the Roman Catholic Church. When you see people um, like praying to certain saints and things like that, that they call that veneration. And so he is still venerated by the Roman Catholic Church. He is a member in good standing with the Roman Catholic Church. He's a saint. He's not a heretic or anything like that. But I want to give you a quote from him as he is talking about this John 21 passage. And this quote is from a book I've mentioned several times. It's called The Roman Catholic Controversy by Dr. James White, and it starts at the bottom of page 113. This is Cyril of Alexandria talking about John 21, 15 through 19. It says this, If anyone asks for what cause, he asks Simon only, though the other disciples were present, and what he means by feed my lambs and the like, we answer that St. Peter with the other disciples had been already chosen to the apostleship, but because meanwhile Peter had fallen, for under great fear he had thrice denied the Lord, he now heals him that was sick and exacts a threefold confession in place of his triple denial." contrasting the former with the latter and compensating the fault with the correction, end quote. So in, you know, from 370 to 444, that's when Cyril of Alexandria lived. And so somewhere in that time frame, he wrote this, and his interpretation is consistent with my interpretation that Peter denied Christ three times. And, and here, this John 21 passage is teaching that Peter was restored. Now, also very important, it says that uh, St. Peter, with the other disciples, had been already chosen to the apostleship, but because, meanwhile, Peter had fallen, for he denied the Lord. So essentially he's saying Peter's different. Peter denied the Lord. The other, uh, the other apostles fled the scene, but, but we have no record of them denying that they ever knew Christ. Peter, Peter's was more severe, uh, an offense, basically. He publicly denied knowing Jesus Christ. And so and 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 what was Peter? It says that he was an apostle. It there's nothing in here about Peter being the pope um or you know anything like that. It it says that he had the apostleship. Surely if this is the clear doctrine of scripture as it has ever been understood by the church, why doesn't a saint of the Roman Catholic Church this far back understand the what is supposedly such a simple interpretation of the Bible and instead he sides with a Protestant. And so I think this is this is a clear-cut you know, evidence here of what I've been saying all along, sola ecclesia. The Roman Catholic Church has developed this power and these dogmatic statements over time. And so the Roman Catholic Church tells the people what they are supposed to find in history. They tell you how to interpret the Bible, sola ecclesia, the church alone. And again, as a Protestant, I go to sola scriptura, that is scripture alone. I, I must, I must have all my beliefs about God based in Scripture, because Scripture is the only thing we have now that is theonoustos, God-breathed. That is, Scripture is how God has revealed himself to us, and it is the only reliable way. Anybody can say, God spoke to me last night in my bedroom, and he told me this. Well, how do we test all those claims? We have to go back to Scripture. Scripture is our ultimate authority. Whether the Pope says it or your neighbor you know, says they got a word from God last night, we test that by going back to Scripture. Now, the uh, next week, 
hopefully, will be the last week on the Pope, and I'm going to discuss papal infallibility and sort of explain what Roman Catholics mean by papal infallibility, because there's, there is great misunderstanding on the Protestant side of what that actually means, and so, uh, th- so that's what I'm going to discuss next week. Now, um, there, there really isn't a verse about papal infallibility in the Bible. <laughs> that's, that's just a joke. Uh, well, but there's really not. And so uh, just to, for our closing verse today, something totally off topic, but my wife and I recently signed up for Spotify. We we had been using Amazon Music, and we so we signed up for like the Spotify Premium version, and that has helped me find uh, so many great songs. And so there's I've been listening to this playlist, and basically the whole playlist is just songs that are the the Psalms of the Bible, and and they're just it's just singing through the Psalms. And one of my favorites has become Psalm 100. And so I just want to read that for you here. Psalm 100, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations.